I don't charge for my CDs. I say, hey, donation, except my standard line is, I say, hey, they don't cost anything, but you have to make me a promise. I have one stipulation. If you take my CD, you have to listen to every song <laughs> all the way through one time. That's all I ask. Welcome to episode 25 of Measured Voices. I'm Walt Huntsman. Carve an hour out to join me as I sit down with Nampa's Timothy P. Swanson. We'll talk about using CDs as marketing tools, keeping his various musical ventures straight, and his love of hats. We'll also talk about his involvement with Idaho Arts Charter School, his 2018 CD Walk With Me, and his plans for 2019. All that and a lot more next on Measured Voices. So I'll start off by asking you how you describe your music to other people. You know, I, I like to think I like to think it's eclectic. I like to think there's a variety of styles in there. But I think it's if you had to force it into a genre, I would say kind of country pop, country rock. But I grew up, my dad's a preacher, so uh, I grew up in the church. So there's some gospel in there. Uh, there's one song that I have where I, I, I told my wife, there's two measures, it's my Beatles moment, you know, that I can just, <laughs> I, they can hear the chord progression. I'm like, oh man, you know, so there's a lot of influences, but I would say it's, it, it, most of it's written on acoustic guitar, so it comes out kind of country, acoustic pop, acoustic rock kind of music. I like to think of it as roll down the windows and uh, drive down the road, kind of listen to music. Okay. I was talking to an, another songwriter about their style of music, and, and I think the word eclectic came up during that conversation as well. Do you think that makes it harder? Obviously, it, it makes the music perhaps more fun for you to not get locked into a particular style, but does it make it harder to, to market it? Uh, I don't think necessarily, especially from my perspective of... Uh, you know, I write mostly, I have no illusions that I'm moving to Nashville to be the next great songwriter. You know, I write mostly for myself and I record because I want it to be there long term. So I think the marketability part of it, some, it, it also, I think the, a variety allows you to market to different areas because it's not the same. It's not like, I don't think you market your CD as a whole anymore. You mark, you can market the songs individually. Mm -hmm so much uh so much more prevalently than you could before so uh i don't know no i don't think so i think some of the songs we're going to play here today there there's just completely there's one song in particular that i wrote on a cajon we're going to play it later it's called walk with me and uh it came out it, i wrote it on a cajon with no instruments so it came out completely different than everything else but it has been undoubtedly uh, audience's favorite song of mine live for sure it's got a nice energy and it's got a sing-along part to it and it's completely different than anything else I've ever written or recorded and I, I was planning to ask you a little uh, later about that song which is also the title track from the CD but you mentioned CDs and that, that people don't really market them anymore so a, a question that that occurred to me while you were talking was uh, why do a CD then? I guess because uh, you know I've, I've been guilty of that too, and I, I have hopes of doing another one. You know, I think, I, and I'm getting ready to do another one. It's probably going to have uh, more of an EP. You know, like a four or five, six song EP. And I do think that the reason 
that to do them now is at live shows. There's still enough people that have CD players in their car that I use them almost more as a marketing tool. I don't charge for my CDs. I say, hey, a donation, except my standard line is I say, hey, it don't cost anything, but you have to make me a promise. I have one stipulation. If you take my CD, you have to listen to every song <laughs> all the way through one time. That's all I ask. Other than that, and then, you know, people will generally donate in your tip jar or whatever. So, I mean, for me, CDs are a way of marketing, a way of doing something live. But you're right. I, I you know, when I push a song out to someone who I'm hoping will be interested in it, it's always digitally. I think I may steal that the next, <laughs> the yeah, next yeah, CD we free. come out with. Feel free. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they sure weren't selling anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And honestly, what, what I found is is that it comes it, it comes out about the same. One guy that loves your music will walk up and throw a $20 bill in your thing and take a CD. Someone else will only have $3. And it comes out six, seven bucks a CD that you make. The same thing you probably would have tried to charge yeah. anyway. And more people will take them because so few, a lot of people don't have cash. They don't carry cash with them that much anymore. Right, they may only right. have $4 in their wallet, you know? So anyway. No, that, that does make sense. You, you, earlier you mentioned that, uh, that the styles of music, that your style of music is kind of eclectic because, uh, you know, a little bit of gospel influence and your, your two me- measures of Beatles, I right. think you said. Right. Uh, so I, I, I take it that you listened to both gospel and Beatles growing up. What other kinds of music, uh, did you listen to growing up, and how much did those kind of influence where you eventually kind of? Went? You know, my uh, my mom still tells the story of, and not necessarily one particular story, but I've always been that guy that if I walk into Walmart or I walk into Walgreens or a grocery store or whatever. All of a sudden, I'll I'll be singing along to the white noise music that's going on that's just kind of up there. I've just always kind of noticed whatever music was going on. So it was really, I was influenced by everything. Now, the one thing in particular that I remember, uh, my mom has never been a big concert person, but she went and saw Elvis Presley in 1958. So she was a big Elvis fan because she was, I think, senior in high school. And she has a 78 single of... uh, Hound Dog with Don't Be Cruel on the B-side. And she had a Ricky Nelson uh, CD. And I think there was maybe a Fats Domino CD, you know. So uh, she some of those 50s, so I was really influenced by that young because there wasn't a lot of what you uh, of modern music. We were a pretty conservative home. The idea that we were going to play some of that rock and roll that was on the radio that probably wasn't going to happen. The Beatles seemed to be okay. I listened to the, you know, they mm-hmm. were, by that time, this was talking the 70s, they were almost the, you know, the not the new Beatles, the old Beatles. I had to listen to the, the original Beatles. But they looked clean cut by then. Um, but I just think it all influenced me. Uh, you know, probably the only thing that I grew up hearing a lot of that didn't influence my writing would be disco. I don't think I've ever th- written anything that would be even reasonably close to that. But I, I said to my wife just the other day, I was listening to some 80s song or some 70s song, and I, I said, well, it, it's no wonder my music sounds like it does. There is the, there's the little punch that I have in my song, you know, on some song that I was listening to from the 80s. So I don't know. It'd be hard for me to say more rock than, uh, than the disco, but I, I went through an R&B period. I went through a rap period where I listened to, not as a rapper, but listened to a lot of... Uh, you know, hip hop and R and B. So, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know where the... I'd say the biggest influence when you listen to the CD is uh, probably uh, country, like kind of that... uh, uh, country pop acoustic guitar feel good sit by the lake drink a beer kind of music that seems to be where i land most most of the time because i have that acoustic guitar in my hand that just wins what what feels right well let's let's talk about songwriting uh and your approach to it where does it or how does it all start for you you know generally generally i start with something either on a keyboard or a guitar that I like the sound of the chord progression, you know, either the chord progression or some little riff. And I'll start to get a melody in my head. And I've always said the hardest thing for me on songs, uh, lyrically, because lyrics for me, lyrics are always the hardest. If you give me a poem, I can give you music back in a couple days. You may not like it, but I'll, I can give you something back. If you give me music and say, put words to this, maybe two years, and I'm still trying to come up with something, you know? So the hardest thing for me is to figure out what is the song about? Once I figure out what the song's about, then I can write lyrics based around that theme. And it's all, that's always a challenge for me because I don't start with the lyrics. I don't necessarily start with the song idea of, okay, I'm going to write about sunsets. Now here's my song. It'd be more along the lines of, here's this cool little riff. What, what would go in here? You know, and eventually I'll come up with either a line or a concept or an idea and then I can build lyrics from there. But it always starts for me with some kind of rhythm or some kind of uh, uh, chord progression or some kind of thing I like on the bass guitar and usually builds from there. I build musically first. Do you ever have uh, a songs where uh, you've gotten that chord progression or that riff and you're playing it and it sort of tells you? Where it's going? Yeah. Or what it should you, be? I think I know what you mean. And what, what, I, what, I'll, what I'll do sometimes is I'll be playing this progression, trying to get something, and halfway through the progression, I'll sing. The perfect line will fit right in there. Now, that line will just, at that moment, be completely random. You know what I mean? But just all of a sudden, that seem, that sound, that seems to be the perfect fit. And I can say, oh, okay, well, maybe... Okay, what can I rhyme with that a little bit later? And now all of a sudden you have two or three phrases and you say, okay, and now I can start to see where this song is going to be, what it's going to be about, you know, where it's, where it's going. But yeah, absolutely. I think there's times. Uh, one of the songs I'm going to play later, the first line, I was out in the backyard playing the guitar and uh, literally I had this little riff that I was playing and I thought it sounded really cool. It was nice outside. I was just kind of standing outside playing guitar. My kids were playing on the, the swing set. And I was just kept playing the progression over and over and over. And all of a sudden I said, the sun was setting in the evening. I was watching my baby girl, which is what I was doing. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, now we have a direction, you know. So, yeah, I think I know exactly what you mean by that. Well, speaking of songs, I think this is this is a good spot to uh, maybe hear a song from, from the CD. Uh, what what shall we listen to? You know what? How about uh, let's just, just start with the one I was just talking about. It's called uh, it's called the time is now, and I think it is it really fits in with my, there, there's a there's a the bridge has a big gospel choir kind of uh, background and there's a, some ad libbing in there and it's written around an acoustic guitar. I would say. It's probably the closest to a James Taylor sounding song that's on the CD. 
And uh, it was a very, very personal song just because I started writing it about my family, like in that story I just told. So the, 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 the lyrics continued to be not only about my family, but about myself and looking back on life and saying, hey, if you want to do something, don't, don't just talk about it. Time is now, right now. Go do it. I, I would say you're a perfect example. You, start, you told me you started this podcast Oh, year ago, March, or is that right? Well, and I'm sure you had been thinking about it for a while. And now it's like, you know what? Nobody's going to do it for me. I need to go do this thing if I'm going to do it. That's kind of what that song's about. All right. So we'll listen to The Time Is Now from the CD, Walk With Me. The sun was setting in the evening I was watching my baby girl My wife was sleeping in the bedroom All seemed to be right with the world Suddenly from out of Thought came to me so crystal clear Only have a short time with them What will you do while they are near? The time is now, the place is here Better hold them close before they it's not too late to find somehow to make your life exactly what it should be. The time is now. Like I spend time dreaming About the things I might have done If only fate had been kind to me Might have had my day in the sun But lately my mind's set to wondering Remembrance from the past How will I be remembered Will I leave anything that lasts The time is now The place is here Better live those dreams before they
Now, in addition to the solo work, you've got your fingers in a, a lot of different <laughs> musical projects. Uh, talk about some of those, and, and how do you keep them all straight? You, you know, I, <laughs> my wife makes fun of me because I keep it straight on a calendar on the wall, and I write it old school-wise. You know, I do have a Google Calendar, too, uh, that you can get. Oh, my website. I'm so proud that I actually have a website now, timothypswanson.com. You can go to that website and find out where I'm playing and what I'm doing, but, uh, you know, it is, um, it's very, it's helpful, uh, I mentioned to you this before we came on the air, but I'm in a band called High Street, and it's a very active band, we play all over the West Coast, we played in California, we've played in North Dakota, we played in Canada, we've gone to Hawaii twice, we play in Oregon, and all over the West, and I don't book that band, so I, when I get those calls, those dates fill in, and they fill in several months ahead, and then I try to fill in the holes with uh, whether it's a songwriting gig. I, I'm a dueling piano player. If you guys know what dueling pianos mm -hmm. are, uh, I play at the, uh, the Brickyard in downtown Boise sometimes. And then I got a buddy of mine named Bobby D, who we just went to North Dakota and we just played dueling pianos in Florence, Oregon for New Year's Eve. I play uh, acoustic guitar with a couple of friends. Uh, we call ourselves the Wednesday Night Band because we play every Wednesday night. We're not very creative guys there. But, but uh, that's every Wednesday night at a place called Divine Wine in Meridian. And I just have managed to stay busy. And I, I think the reason is I'm lucky. I tell people all the time I'm not a master of any one instrument. But I can play several fairly proficiently. And that has allowed me to stay busy as a musician because i have different things that i can that i can go do okay now in addition to that you've also uh been known on occasion to host jam sessions you're also uh, you've also been involved with uh, the idaho arts charter school and uh, this seems like a good spot to talk about the school your involvement with it and and what uh in your mind makes it a unique kind of place to, to you be. know it started with, I have to credit my wife, Christine, that for putting our kids in the lottery. The Idaho Arts Charter School, it's a public school. Anybody's eligible to go, but there's only a certain number of spots available, so they hold a lottery every year. And we put our kids in a couple times, they finally got in, and it's, it's, it's a public school that all the learning is based around the arts. They're, they don't have PE, they have dance. You know, the, uh, they don't write essays, they write plays you know and so after they had been there a year my kids had gone there there this year they're in third and fourth grade I think the first year they were there they were first and second but then through a series of connections a guy named Dave Hutchinson I don't know if you know Dave plays drums in town but he knew somebody who knew somebody and they needed a piano lab teacher a part-time piano lab teacher so I did that for a year and then um and then after that they they folded that job into a full-time piano teacher's job. So now I've been working as a, basically what's called a teacher's aide. I've done everything from work with kindergarten to fourth grade, and now I'm going to be teaching third and fourth grade drama. Uh, and through all that, and this is where we talked about the podcast, and I think maybe what you're talking about, Walt, through all that, I came across an organization that the Idaho Arts Charter School uh, has called The Giving Tree. Mm -hmm. And The Giving Tree is... Uh, an organization within the school. It's run by the school counselors of all the various levels, the elementary, the middle school, and the high school counselors. And as they are able to identify um, 
kids in the schools whose families have real needs, like they need the heat on, they need gas to get to work, they need coats, you know, those kinds of things. They need school lunch paid for or whatever. Uh, then the giving tree, and there's a process that people go through to apply for this money. So uh, uh, the giving tree helps them when they can. And uh, two years in a row now, we've had a, a, a little fundraiser, open jam session. I, I love hosting jam sessions. I'm looking maybe to do a weekly one again one of these days. You never know. But... Uh, where we just had musicians from all over the valley and kids from the school. I mean, imagine this, Walt. In high school, you could have taken rock band as an elective <laughs> if you went to Idaho Arts Charter School. So uh, some of those kids came in and played. We just had a great night. A guy named Richard Pimentel uh, came in and spoke. We raised some money for him. Um, but it's, I'm proud to be associated with the school and the organization. It's a great place. This, this seems like the place where I should ask, when do you find time to sleep? But, <laughs> <laughs> but instead, uh, I'll, I'll ask you about uh, another question about music. Uh, a number of the musicians that I've talked to, the songwriters I've talked to, play primarily in and around Boise. Now, you play, uh, you mentioned going to North Dakota and playing in Oregon, but uh, as far as Idaho is concerned, you, you, you do some things in, in Meridian, you've done stuff in Nampa, yeah. Cuna, uh, uh, even Homedale, Star. Talk about those music scenes and what those are like. Because you know, on the surface, to people who aren't initiated, it, it, you wouldn't think that some of those places actually have a music scene, but apparently right. they do. You're right, and they do. And, and there's been what you find is if you go to a place like Homedale, uh, they don't give. We came out with a dueling piano show out there, my friend Bobby D and I, and. Well, they're just blown away because that kind of entertainment doesn't come out to their town very often. So it becomes very event-like mm. when you go out to these places. Now, they have music anywhere because they have their own little bands. But it's I think there's a little bit of the pros from Dover guy kind of coming in, you know. And so <laughs> they, they, uh, they, they advertise it real big for a while. And then, and then the crowds are just... It just they just get caught up in it because it feels like a big deal. We try to make we roll in with our lights and our pianos and our PA and try to make it feel like a big deal. And so, yeah, if you're a musician out there, I would encourage you to look around outside the valley. There's some places, uh, not outside the valley, but outside kind of the main mm -hmm. places that you you talk about that aren't very far. Everything's within thirty minutes. You know, you're right there. Every, everything you mentioned, Star and homedale and uh cuna and they're all just just right there there's places to play all over the valley and this, this area is getting big enough man there, there's enough there's enough music lovers in pockets all over the place they want to hear it if you got a good sound they want to hear it i had to chuckle when you mentioned the pros from dover because it reminded me uh of the line from the movie mash for, for yeah. people who aren't well that's where i stole it in fact <laughs> one of my i my band i'm in i'm in a band called high street but when i front my band it's tim swanson and the pros from dover we actually uh <laughs> stole that from mash okay. <laughs> <laughs> now um at the near the start of 2018 and now that we're in 2019 and so it's close to a year now uh, you came out with your CD, Walk With Me, and with 12 songs on it. Now, this is something I, I don't think I've asked anybody yet, but did you have a bigger pile that you had to cull down from? And and, and if so... No, I didn't. That, so, actually, the opposite. Well, I didn't have... Um, no, I didn't. I had... what I, Originally, I was going to be about six songs, is what I thought it was going to be. So what happened was... <laughs> We started that project 
before I have my kids, my two youngest kids. So the project took a long time because it got derailed because I right. had two or three years there where I just couldn't. I was I was basically I was Mr. Mom and then mm-hmm. playing music. So uh, it was, we didn't. It was hard to get done. My friend Greg Breidinger, who uh, run, he's actually moved his studio here to Nampa now. It's called the Tone Temple here in Nampa. But so he, he was recording it for me at that time. He was in Weezer, and so I had to not only deal. With it, so it just took a long time. Well, the, to make the point of your question, I actually wrote more songs. It, the, we were had six we were going to record. I had wrote four more, I think, while we were recording and then had these other two that I said, you know what, I wasn't going to put these down, but we're doing it now. Let's just go ahead and put it. So there's, you know, so no, I don't, I'm not prolific like that. I wish I was. I wish I was that guy that wrote six, eight, ten songs a month, I'm, but I'm not. I have a tendency to go through phases where I write a bunch of songs over a period of four, five, six months, write four, five, six songs, and then not write for a while, fiddle around with lots of ideas mm-hmm. and not finish the song. You know, I'm, I'm, I got a lot of half songs and ideas that aren't, that I need to sit down where it's quiet and finish it. Cause that's what I need. When I'm, when I get to the end of a song, sometimes I just need to really get away. I can remember when I was in band, uh, playing, band Oregon playing with High Street. Um, I had these two songs, and we were getting ready to record. We were recording, actually, and I really wanted to put these songs down, but neither one of them had a bridge. And so I said, told my wife, I said, when I go down to Bend, I'm there all weekend. There's nobody around. I'm going to take my guitar. I'm going to go out to this place called Smith Rock, which is a state park. If you mm-hmm. ever go to Bend, Oregon area, it's out yeah. in, on the Redmond. It's just great. Seen it. Oh, it's beautiful. So very easy to go find a place by yourself because it's a big, open hiking area. So I went out there, and I had all afternoon, and three or four hours later, I had these and the bridges were done, you know. And I, but I think you know what I mean as a songwriter. I, they were already percolating; I could feel them coming. I knew kind of what I wanted to do, but I just hadn't had the chance to sit down with no distractions and really pull it out, you know. So, um, you know, I wish the, the twelve we got down there were probably well, they were the twelve complete at the time. Uh, there was probably another six or seven that maybe I could have fleshed out, but no, I wasn't, I'm not that guy that had to go pick from 30 songs and decide which one to put down. So it sounds like, uh, because of life and other right. life and other things, <laughs> yes. uh, that the project took what, maybe oh, four, four, I think five it took years, five or six years oh. before. I mean, we were laughing because if you go back and look at like the first, first timestamp on the first recording the first thing we laid to the last one it was six or seven years maybe it was a long time uh and then what, what i did is we were just kind of doing it little by little by little by little and then what we finally did was i sat down with my producer greg we looked at what we had we looked at what we had left to do and i said okay let's just put in and then for the last six months i was out in weezer three or four days a week you know what i mean so we kind of had built all this stuff over four or five years and then in that last then we were really out there at that point it was we were trying to finish it so let's talk about i was going to ask you how long it, it, it to talk about the actual studio experience and and how that all works but let me go back to that that la- that last six month period and you were out three four times a week Roughly, how many was that? Like an eight-hour day every time you went out, or you know what? Let's see. Well, you you know, the drive out and back added to it. So Mm -hmm. if you count that, take about an hour to get there. Right. We would record 
generally from three to four hours. That didn't mean recording the whole time, but just whatever we were right. doing, whether it was mixing or recording or whatever it was we were doing, be three to four hours. And then that was usually it. And it was that'd be and then I'd go home. Now toward the end, the last few weeks, sometimes we'd do three to four hours, go get something to eat and come back and do three to four hours. You know, because I'd gotten to the point where I finally put the pressure on myself, which I've learned I have to do. I booked a uh I booked a a, a, a CD release show. For several months ahead, and I was like, "Okay, if if I don't have the CD done and two CD baby by this date, I'm not going to make." So we gave ourselves that artificial deadline. I think that finally helped us because you know, I, Walt, I had the I had the curse and blessing of nearly I had to make my friend take money. You know what I mean? The, the studio time was basically free, which is great, except that it sometimes you're willing to do something over. Because it's not 100% perfect where if you were paying $50 an hour, 99% perfect might be good enough. So we fell victim to that a little bit in terms of uh, uh, getting it out quicker because it was just we didn't have to pay for it and we were just not going to put a damn thing out until it was how we wanted it, you know. So. It, all, it almost sounds like that, that six-month period, whether you were recording or mixing or setting up, that, that we're still talking – Possibly as many as five hundred hours yeah. Oh, yeah. working on yeah we more put on <laughs> we really did just in that last six months and that's, that's just a, when I was there my producer I don't he probably put in another five hundred over that same six months because he really was meticulous about it I mean he went in and auto tuned everything and went through and lined up drum beats and you guys out there that are recording people will know what I'm talking I don't know what I'm talking about I just know what, <laughs> I just know what he told me he did you know. But uh, it, it came. I'm really happy with the way it came out. I tell people all the time: you may or may not like the songs, but they are what I meant for them to be. You know, what I mean, mm -hmm. they they came out the way I meant for them to. Well, at this point, I think uh, we should listen to another song from the CD. Then, what are, uh, what shall we listen? You know to? what? I want to play the song "Invincible," and it's got a, a kind of a neat little story that goes with the way it was written. My oldest daughter, who's now 19, um, I was trying to teach her how to play guitar when she was about nine, maybe 10. And uh, and I was I said you should write your own music. She was a big Taylor Swift fan. That's when Taylor Swift first came out with her country stuff, and and my daughter Haley was a a big fan. And I said you should write your own music like Taylor Swift. And she said, well, I don't know very many chords. I said, well, doesn't matter. Here, you just play these two. And so she started writing this little song, and she wrote some lyrics, and it was called Invisible. And so it, she never finished it. Well, you flash forward a little bit ahead, and through some kind of loose connections uh, through High Street. One of the guys in High Street, his son was in a band with a girl named Shannon Becks. Some of you may know who Shannon Becks is. She was in a band called Danity Kane. Danity Kane won MTV's making of the band with Puff Daddy. And they have their they had multi their two albums that went platinum. And so she was now back in Bend, Oregon, and looking for new material. And so. I went to my, and, but she wanted it quick. So I went to my daughter, who was only then, whatever, it had been a year or so, she's maybe 10 or 11, and said, can I take your song and change it to Invincible and finish it? Would that be all right with you? And then I'm going to send it off to this, to this, to Shannon. And I said, and you will own 20% of that song. We'll be the co-writer. So if you look on my CD, every single song says, written by Tim Swanson, except Invincible, and that was co-written by 
myself and my daughter, Haley Swanson. So I don't know if Shannon actually ever heard the CD. I performed with her a couple weeks uh, last year, and she said, I don't think she ever even heard the song. <laughs> so ultimately, I changed the key because it was too high. I'd written it for a girl. I finally said, you know what? This could be a rock song. And so we changed the key, and I sung it myself. And there, here's how it came out. All right. We'll listen to Invincible from uh, Walk With Me. off track Sometimes people didn't always have my back They thought that I would do just what I'm told I got a message for them loud and bold I'm invincible Finding hidden power I'm invincible Getting stronger by the hour I'm invincible Just try to hold me down So coming out of, uh, of Invincible, uh, I want to talk about the, the CD in general. The, the titles Walk With Me. Talk about that title and, and how that... You know, the CD was almost titled Invincible. 
and that had always been what I was gonna gonna go with. Walk with me was one of the songs I was talking to you about earlier that I wrote while we were in the recording process. It wasn't necessarily supposed to get recorded, and uh, the way that song in particular came around, my friend Jeff Webb, who's a drummer, had come over for a rehearsal, and he'd left his cajon here, the big drum box, and he's got he's got a big one. And there was nobody in the house. And I, you know, I just, I mean, one of the first times I'd ever seen cajones was when he brought one. So I got on the cajon right here in this room, actually, in this piano room. And I just kind of got this beat going, got this beat going, got this beat going. And next thing you know, I was singing, hey, oh, and I felt kind of silly because there was nobody in the house. But I was just, and my wife came home and I played it. Anyway, it developed into this song that I thought ended up, uh, kind of personifying not only not necessarily the album. The album I don't even know that the album has a theme necessarily all the way through it, but personifies kind of um, the way I want people to view me. Hey, just come walk with me. We're gonna have a good time. We're gonna walk through the forest. We're gonna walk through the desert. I'll walk with you in good times. I'll walk with you in bad times. But we're always gonna keep our head up. It's got kind of a marching feel to it. And honestly, the more I played it live, and the more people. Uh, responded to it, and the more I thought about it, the more I just thought, you know what, that's the title. That's the title of the album. And then I've got this picture up here on the wall, uh, a girl I met. It was kind of funny. I never actually met her, thanks to the power of the Internet, <laughs> until she handed me the the artwork. So I went and but I, through a friend of a friend of a friend and Facebook, her name's Lisa Benoit, and she's a great artist. So she, wrote, she uh, drew that uh, for me, and then we shrunk that down for the for the album cover and I told her uh, I said okay the guy's walking he's walking through a desert he's walking through a forest and he's walking by a river so there's no real geographic place in the world that you have this so just kind of put it all on there so the cover is just this guy kind of walking in all these environments out there he's got his guitar and I just felt like you know what that's me that's the album Okay, and he's got a hat on, which I, yeah. I know you have an affinity for hats, I as, do. as do I. I do, I am the hat guy. You have uh, several songs on the CD that uh, either directly or indirectly are seem to be about family, a uh, song about one of your daughters that we, we yeah. uh, played, one that we played earlier, and I think there's another one that's even possibly even more directly about uh, one of your daughters. Uh, what role did your family play in the, in the whole CD process? Well... Um, the, the song you're talking about is called Haley Beth. That's actually the mm-hmm. name of my oldest uh, daughter. That one is directly personal right. to her. I wrote that when my first wife and I split up, and she was only three or four years old, so we wrote that for her. So that was actually a song that had been around for a long time. Um, and, and the other one is uh, uh, I've Hit the Big Time, which is kind of a family-oriented song. It's, the hook is I've Hit the Big Time, but if you listen to the song, what you hear is that the singer is saying, because I have my family, because I'm right. close to my friends, that is what has made me hit the big time. And I just think that those songs come, you know, I'm a family guy. You know, I'm a family guy. I'm a, a, a spiritual guy, an emotional guy sometimes. I told my daughter the other day, we were. she was saying she cried at the, the Little Mermaid, even though she'd seen it 50 times. And I said, you know what? A really, really well-crafted commercial will make me misty-eyed if they do <laughs> it just right, you know? So I'm, just, I'm kind of a sentimental guy. And uh, I'm actually writing songs right now for both my other daughters, you know what I mean? I just think that there's something about crystallizing how you feel about your family into 
music and into the structure of like a, a pop type song that makes it special. It makes it, uh, it makes it stated in a different way. You know what I mean? You're saying, cause you have to just, you can't just say, Hey, I love you so much. You're my daughter. You have to kind of find a way to put it into words that still make a song, but still say what you want to say. So I think those come out special. At least I hope so. Now, as, as, as I was mentioning earlier, you, you and I share an affinity for hats. What, what is it that you like about hats? I mean, what is, what are they kind of, I, I, I almost want to say they allow me to be somebody else in a way. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. My thing with hats now, the, I, and it's always been that way, but I'm, this is not new for me. I mean, all the way from junior high on, I've been the hat guy. In fact, my senior, when I graduated from high school, uh, I snuck in at that time I was into like those fishing hats, like the Gilligan kind of fishing mm-hmm. hat. I snuck one in underneath my robe and they told <laughs> us they were going to, you know, that we were going to be in trouble. But, uh, I snuck one in underneath my robe. And so right when they called my name, I took my, my cap off. And so the picture of me shaking the hand of the, uh, superintendent is in my fishing hat. But I think part of it is you can say, you know, I never had great hair, Walt. I mean, that's part of it. You know what I mean? I didn't have, in the 80s, even when I had a mullet, it wasn't, you know, it was, we, and so I had that. But, uh, but I never had that. And what I liked about hats, I think you, kind of what you're saying, being somebody else, is that you could show a different part of personality without right. saying anything. You know what I mean? If I was wearing a hat that, I had I in high school. I had this cap. It was a blue baseball cap, but it was a parrot. It had a big nose, toucan Sam. Huge. It was just ridiculous. I, googly eyeballs on it. You wear that, you're saying one thing about yourself. If you wear a baseball cap backwards, you're saying something else about yourself. If you wear a fedora, you're saying something else about yourself. And I think that I've, I've always liked that. You can just kind of, you know, I've told my daughter before. I've been 51 years old. I've spent. 51 years in pursuit of being cool, you know what I mean? And so I just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And so, uh, uh, and then once I got to playing music full time, I just always liked, I just like my hat. My hair would get sweaty and I just didn't like the way it looked. And I was just, you know, I just felt, I just feel like the outfit's not complete without the hat. I understand. I've got a few years on you and I'm still trying to be cool. But, <laughs> but I have a, a, a blue and black, pork pie hat that Ooh, I wear when I yeah. when I perform yeah. and uh, it allows me to to I guess sort of get that 10% of my personality yes. that's the extrovert out there yeah. so that I can get into the performance a little more. Yeah. Um now when I was looking back through some pictures uh, on your on your Facebook page and and I I think that was my main source I saw a variety of colorful flashy outfits <laughs> for various occasions. Uh would it be fair to say that uh even though you take the music seriously, that maybe you don't, you try not to take yourself too seriously. Oh, I would hope so. I hope anybody that knows me would say Tim doesn't take himself too seriously, and a lot of times may not even take the music too seriously. <laughs> Especially when I'm doing, like, for example, uh, this is why I'm just so I was so excited about this. I'm getting to talk about my own music here. Ninety-five mm-hmm. percent of the time, I'm playing covers. I'm right. playing other people's music, and I my philosophy has always been that once you go into the playing covers, 
when really, you're, it's, it's not your music. You're just using that music to entertain whoever's there. So for me, it's always been about the performance and about the entertainment. I want the music to be good. I try to surround myself and make sure that the people I play with are good players so that the band is good. But I also know, like, for example, the band I was talking about, High Street, we're a good band. We're a very, very good band musically. We've got horns and we've got some some great players. But what we have that other bands don't have, and some of the reasons we get to play some of the gigs we play, is we have uh, a look. We have a visual uh, show as well as, I mean, not only are we dressed up right, but we've got little dance steps that we do. Everybody's wireless. You look up in the stage sometime, the only guy on the stage will be the drummer. Everybody else is into the out in the audience dancing around. So uh, I treat gigs, I tell, I've used this line before, but I treat gigs where I'm doing cover music as if all these people here, whether it's 20 people or 200 people, treat it like they're at my house, they're in my living room, and all I'm hosting a party and I just want to make sure everybody has fun. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think when you take that perspective, it's you don't get caught up in the bass player didn't play the right chord on the bridge and that drummer played it too slow that time you know and i've been i've played with guys and it's just like i'm like hey man come on we're we're playing leonard skinner you know what i mean (laughs) it's not our music you know so let's just play and have fun well i wasn't going to ask about covers but since since it has come up i'll ask one question when when you're looking at covers that you think you're going to do either either solo or with the band or what what kinds of things do you look for you know it depends if if it's with if it's for high street it's the the number one criteria is can people dance to it doesn't matter if it was written last year or in 1950 are people going to be able to dance to it when i'm playing on my solo gig every wednesday i'll text guys uh hey let's try this song or that song this week at that point I'm usually doing one of two things. Either I'm trying to fill a gap, like my 90s game is not very strong. You know, I I can play a lot of 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I can even play stuff from this century, but I don't know many 90s. So maybe I'm trying to add to my repertoire, or I've just found a song, and I think, man, this this is a cool song. Most of the songs that I learn and get added to my repertoire come from people requesting them. Something I may not have ever thought about playing. And so I've always been that guy that's willing just to pull it up on the internet. And if I'm familiar with it and I can see the chords, give it a shot. And three out of five times, my guitar player and I look at each other and go, oh, man, we should, we should keep playing that. You know what I mean? And so well, there's a song called No Roots by a girl named Alice Merton that came out last year. First time I heard it, I was like, oh, we got to play it. So if it's for a band, it may serve more of a purpose. If it's playing more on a solo or like little combo thing, then it's just if it interests me, you mm-hmm. know, if it's something that either some older song that I've never played, like the song right now I want to learn is Reminiscing by the Little River Band. Yeah. I haven't got there yet. I haven't got, because I'm going to have to sit down and actually figure it out, you know, but, yeah. but, uh, so, but I, I only want to play that because I've never played it and I've always loved the song, you know, and, 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 you can't just sit, at least I can't. I have a pretty good musical ear, but that song changes around so much. Right. I can't just sit down and kind of fake my way through it. I'm going to have to actually sit down and learn the song. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I have my wife. She does. She, <laughs> she finds the, goes and she finds the chords, chords or yep. figures out the chords. That's and all it. That. 
Uh, yeah. you know, and you were mentioning if people request the song, then you'll look it up. That's that's why we have Puff the Magic Dragon of all songs <laughs> in our in our repertoire. Uh, we we play it at a couple, it's a hit every time, a couple times a year time. at, at Emmett Farmers Market. Well, we had one of the vendors ask for it, great. so it's now. Uh, as as we're recording this, uh, we're just into 2019. Uh, if you can, uh, not that anybody can ever predict the future, but if you had your crystal ball, what kinds of things do you see uh, ahead in the new year well, for you? We're gonna we're probably February, late January, February. We're gonna go back in the studio. I said my friend Greg, he moved his studio to Tone Temple. He moved it over here to Nampa, so now it's only five minutes away. So <laughs> it's gonna be a little easier. And I th- hopefully we have streamlined our process. By the time we got to the end of that CD, we could get a song done in a week where before it would take us a month, you know, to, you know, and so, uh, but I want to record again. I have my show. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I have a show. It's called walk, walk through the eighties and it's all eighties songs. And I change costumes. It's kind of set up like a, like a Vegas showroom type show, you know, not necessarily a dance show, but, uh, cause oh, I go, I, I dread, I got a Michael Jackson jacket and I've got a <laughs> fake mullet that I wear, you know, just this real kind of cheesy thing that I'm, hoping to market to some casinos you know it's kind of set up for that kind of thing that's uh we just got the promo video done for that and i'm hoping that uh this is the year we can get that going because uh those are you know like we were talking about earlier once for me once you go to the covers really you're just trying to entertain and make money i'm a professional musician and you know so that's those that gives me i kind of feel like i'm at where i'm gonna be financially if I keep doing what I'm doing. So if I'm going to make any more money, I got to get some kind of whatever that, and that, right. that next level is, and that next level is out there in those casino showrooms. And I've, I, I was inspired. I went and saw, we were playing, high street was playing a casino. We were playing a private party. Um, and in the showroom was this uh, group of kids and they did, um, a Beatles tribute band. And, uh, the first hour they would do the old Beatles. And in the second hour, they would do the seventies Beatles and I got to talking to them. I found out what they were getting paid. And I was like, oh, I got to come up with an idea. I don't want to be a tribute band. I don't want to play this, the Eagles songs right. every night. So we came up with this idea of my buddy and I. So I'm like, you know what? We already know all these. We already play all these 80s songs. We don't have to learn anything new. We just have to package it into a, a show of some kind. So I'm hoping to get that off the ground uh, we played it here locally a couple times. It was real successful as far as people liking it. We played it down here at a little club in Nampa. And, and, but yeah, and other than that, man, just chase those kids around. I'm, the, I'm my kids' basketball coach starting next week. <laughs> so, you know, that's going to keep me going. I was thinking as you were talking about uh, being an Eagles tribute band, that that would be kind of hard because you'd have to break up every so often <laughs> and, then, and then come back together. <laughs> and getting fights on stage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we've we've talked a lot about uh, the CD and, and and some of the other things you uh, are hoping to do in the coming year. What else, if if anything, should people know about you and your music? Well, I don't know. We've covered a lot. I would say that the big thing that people need to know, or not need to know, that I want them to know about me, whether it's uh, original music, whether I'm playing with the Idaho Songwriters and or whether i'm playing covers with an acoustic band or a band i wouldn't say want people to know what i want people to say when they walk away is man that was fun that that was really fun and so i think that's always my goal is that because i think that 
it gets people to come back and participate again. You know what I mean? And hopefully grow your fan base. I don't know that my version of Margaritaville is enough better than anybody else's to uh, make them come back. But maybe if we had a great time while we were singing it and they thought, you know, and really make that kind of that uh, make that personal connection with people. I think the, what I hope people say when they walk away is, man, that guy was a pretty good player. And man, that was, man, that was fun. That was really fun. Well, let's uh, end with one more song, I think. Let's, yeah, I think we're going to end with the title track, Walk With Me, I mentioned earlier. It is completely different than anything else on the CD or anything else I've ever written because it was written without any chords. It was written that beat you hear, and actually the, the, the cajon that I wrote it on, we took that into the studio and uh, re- re- used that to record. And uh, it's, got, uh, it's got a tenor tenor mandolin on it and a banjo and some shakers it's really just kind of a rhythmic fun sing-along song i hope you guys love it walt thank you so much for having me here this has been fun and and we'll end with some fun the title track from the cd walk with me all right everybody here's a brand new song i want you to sing it with me all right i'm going to teach it to you here's the hook it goes like this hey Walk with me. Hey, yo. 
thanks to Timothy P. Swanson. You'll find links to his website and social media page, as well as a link to the Tone Temple on our webpage at measured-voices.blogspot.com. Next time out, a special episode from Nashville with former Idaho band Credenda on the eve of the release of their first EP. I'm Walt Huntsman. I hope you'll join me next time for another edition of Measured Voices. Measured Voices.